0: Pastor for that kind introduction that was a wonderful uh, first lesson it's, it's amazing sometime how the Lord ties these things together and I, I really enjoyed our little hope y'all still have your copy of this little timeline we, we might actually refer to that but I would like if uh, you wouldn't mind I'd like to uh, start as we always should with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to, to bless our time and, and to help me our Heavenly Father My God, I'm thankful to be able to be here this day, Lord, to open Thy Word, to look into the Word which You have given us of our Savior Jesus Christ, Lord, of His sacrificial death and His resurrection. Father, open our minds and help us to understand what You would have us to to understand what You would have to say to us. Bless us this day, we ask Thee, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our... Topic today that I'd like to look at is a, a, it's a very broad topic, and I know it's something that uh, a lot of folks maybe have a—in fact, it seems in the modern church, some of the research I've done, it, this seems to be something that's really falling out of favor. Our, our title is The Humiliation of Jesus, Even Unto Hades, and our Lord has—he suffered a miraculous humiliation. In his incarnation, in his life, in his sacrificial death. Now, let's let's start by defining that word. I know many of us, when we hear the word humiliation, we think, "Oh, oh I tripped in front of everybody, or, or I, you know, did, did did something foolish." Well, the, uh, what we're talking about is something more, uh, a bit more, full than that. Uh, one good definition I'd like you to keep in your mind is uh, being a, the humiliation is being humbled or reduced to lowliness or submission. And that's the first place we need to look because think about the entire trajectory of the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. Jesus was born in a natural way. Think about that that in and of itself for the the creator of the universe, the, divi- the divine second person of the Trinity, to be incarnate as a man, born that way. He lived as a child. And I want us to look here at one um, little verse, just to give us a quick idea and an overview of that is found in the Gospel of Luke. Way back in chapter 2, in verse 51. Luke is very unique among the Gospels and he he really is the only uh, Gospel author that gives us any indication at all or any information about the life of Jesus as a child. And the the one picture he gives us is when uh, Jesus, a boy in Jerusalem, he stayed in the temple when his parents left. And uh, chapter 2, verse 51 says, uh, well, let's, let's go back to verse uh, 50. He, his parents had found him, and he asked them, Do you not know that I must be about the father's business? That was the whole purpose of him being here, being among men and being about his father's business. And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. But he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Uh, just let your mind wander a little bit and think about that. The Creator, the Son of God, is being subject as a boy. This might help for little children to think about. He could be subject as a boy to his mom and daddy. That's part of his what we call this, this humiliation of Jesus. He's, he's brought into to our world. He walked in his life as a man. I like to think sometimes, and it's okay to let our minds wander. Jesus worked. Sometimes I wonder. Wonder what he did all those years prior to the his thirtieth year that we begin to read about his his ministry in the Scripture. I Wonder what he did. Wonder how many hard days of work he had. I wonder if he ever hurt his hand with one of his carpentry tools. You know, we're we're trying to communicate that this is a he is a man living. In our world is us becoming one of us, God with us. I want you to keep that in mind. But this went on, this, this humiliation of Jesus Christ, this went on. And as we get into his time of ministry, I think we see a great example of it in his temptations. He was tempted, as the scripture tells us, in every point as we are, yet without sin, And Luke chapter 4 gives us a very good overview of Jesus' experience. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. He returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. This is verse 2. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done a 40-day fast. I know our brother <laughs> Steve has done that. I've never been able to make that that long. That, that's, a, that's a difficult track. But here is Jesus. Here's the man Jesus alone in the desert. 40 days he has to put a bite of food in his mouth. And he's tempted. And I want you to <clears throat> notice the temptations, the way he's tempted. The first one he came to, the devil tempted him on a very simple level. He tempted him with a a bodily pain. He's hungry. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Use your power. Just bypass the difficulties that you're supposed to be here for. You're the Son of God. Why do you have to endure this? And what did Christ say? He answered him saying, It is written. Notice he didn't say, I'm the son of God. He used the word, he said, it is written. Now see, I want you to g- grasp that we have that same power. We can say it is written in the power of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. That it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The word of God had come to Jesus. That he was going to live and he was going to endure this time as a man and Jesus from the first moment he was not going to bypass that all that then is part of this this aspect of his being humbled and being reduced to lowliness and submission but then then he was tempted by power boy that gets a lot of people that one gets a lot of men the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world And he said, all this power I'll give you. I will give this unto thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. I wonder how many men have fallen to that kind of temptation. Look at all this money. Look at all this power that you can have, and you can enjoy it right now. And I believe the devil could have given him that. But what did Jesus say? He said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Once again, he walked the path that God Almighty had wanted. Let me me rephrase that. He walked the path that Adam should have walked, but he didn't. Adam fell. But Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he did not fall then. Finally, Satan tempted him one more time. He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. He's tempted him, I believe, here. Gra- Go ahead and grab the glory. Okay, you say you're the Son of God, prove it. Grab, the, gr- grab this glory and have everybody looking at you. And what did Jesus say? Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Once again, he resisted the temptation, and he stayed in his, the state in which he had entered voluntarily at the, under the leadership and the guidance of the Father. He resisted this temptation with the word of God, and then the devil left him, had ended the temptation and departed from him for a season. But he'll come back. But our Lord, I want us to see another picture. And this one might even be a little bit more personal. It's a, a personal experience Jesus had that the Apostle John shows us. If you want to turn to John chapter 11, John chapter 11, it's a story that's very well known, but I think there, there's this little scene in here that really captures what I'm trying to communicate, the, the experience that our Lord had living as one of us. John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus the brother of Mary and Martha and Lazarus died and Jesus went to the tomb and he of course had in his mind he was going there for a specific purpose he could have gone and prevented Lazarus from dying but he decided to wait and let that happen and Lazarus was dead and Lazarus was buried he says in verse 15 to his own disciples, I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. And Jesus goes and he arrives in the middle there's still the mourning period is going on. And Lazarus's sisters are they're in a bad way emotionally. They've lost their brother. And if you look over to the 35th verse of John 11. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. But I think it's quite profound. Jesus wept. Think about that. Here's the divine second person of the Trinity. He has stood up against the temptations of the devil. He's walked in his ministry. He's seen all of this. He knows what he's going to do. But he is, he's overcome With human emotion. He is experiencing human emotion. Watching his poor creatures suffer. Christ had to experience all of this. To be the perfect sacrifice. This this was the plan of his father. And he had this emotional experience and he wept. And then he prayed to the Father and he raised Lazarus from the dead. But he understood the pain and the difficulty that we have as human beings walking this earth. Ultimately, as we know, what we, we really are, need to be focused on, what we're going, what we're going to focus on, Ultimately, his experience as a man ended in his terrible death. And I want you to turn over, if you would, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Paul here gives us the the summary of all of this. I'm going to start at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind, this thought was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That is, he didn't think that was something to hold on to. He didn't have to grasp that. He He was not unwilling to give that up for a time. But made himself of no reputation... And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. There's the humiliation. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We've already heard about a little bit of idea about how terrible of a death that was. That was not an easy death. But yet, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was willing to do that for me and for you. He was willing to to be, oh, we want to talk about humiliation. After he had lived that life of hard work, Jesus wasn't born in a palace. Jesus wasn't born to a rich man. We don't hear much about his father, but at some point, his earthly father, I should say, we don't hear much about Joseph, but by the time Christ went to the cross, apparently Joseph was gone because he asked his faithful apostle to look after his mother. But Jesus, having endured all of that, he finds himself, as we've already heard a little bit about this morning touching on, he finds himself in a trial. He finds himself dragged before the most powerful, maybe the most violent, overbearing, imperial power that's existed on this earth. And he's drug before them. And he told his followers in the garden, at the moment when he was being arrested, Peter wanted to fight. He pulled a sword, he wanted to fight. And Jesus said. Put up thy sword under the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He was ready to do what his father had instructed him to do. He was going to do that. And praise him for it, because where would we be had he not? Now we see Christ. I'm going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, where we see a picture of our Lord. On that cross, there he hangs before the world, Matthew chapter 27. He hangs before <clears throat> the cross. And if, if I understand history correctly, prisoners were generally crucified in the completely stripped of their clothing. It's a awfully horribly humiliating thing. Jesus has been beaten, His body was scarred. And there he hangs in front of the whole world. And there he hung. And if we look back at this little timeline, if you still have that, there he hung from sometime around nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. He's alone. He's stripped of his glory. He's hanging in front of his creation And then he said in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. Just before he Or not long before he died. Not only being humiliated in front of his creation. He felt that abandonment. He felt the wrath of God on him. That should have been on us. And then he cried again with a loud voice. And he yielded up the ghost. And he was going to be carried before that day closed, before sundown, before that Friday ended, he was going to be carried to a grave that wasn't his, that was donated by a wealthy man, and he was going to be sealed in that tomb, like his friend Lazarus was that he had raised. Now what happened to Christ? You see, Jesus' work wasn't done. That's... That's really what I want us to, to focus on in the, the, the time we have remaining. We can see in the ancient creed, he, was, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, He's dead and buried, and he descended into hell. That is something I'm afraid that the modern church seems to have lost sight of. As a matter of fact, and I'm gonna, let me digress uh, just a minute. The modern church, the, the mainstream church, seems to me to have lost sight of almost anything supernatural. Amen. They're terribly afraid to discuss anything supernatural. I don't understand how one could be a Christian and be afraid of or uh, perhaps even d- denying the supernatural. Um, the, the Christianity is a supernatural faith. When, when, when we are saved, the Spirit of God has to move on us supernaturally. We don't raise ourselves from the dead to believe. Yet, that seems to be the mode of thought that's in the modern church, even the, the so-called conservative churches. Uh, some that I've been in, I've seen that. So what happened to Jesus after he gave up the ghost and his body was laid in that tomb. We've, we've already heard about his burial and his resurrection, the, the time frame. What was going on during that time? His soul wasn't with his body. His soul had left his body. Where did it go? Well, as the creed says, he descended into hell. Now this is not to say When we hear that word in our modern, let's try to put our mind out of the modern world we live in for a minute. When we hear the word hell, we think of the place of eternal punishment. That's not what the scripture means. I want us to reference a story that Jesus told. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 20 to 31. And I think you'll be very familiar with this story. And I call it a story because I don't believe it was a parable. All of the parables that Jesus told, they never called anybody's name, for starters. This story calls a man's name. In fact, there is, outside of the canon of Scripture, we even have a name for the rich man. Yet here we have the name Lazarus, another beggar. Jesus doesn't indicate that this is a a parable or that he's illustrating anything. He's telling something that he is familiar with that occurred. And I'm not going to read the whole story. I'd, I'd invite you to if you're not familiar with it. There's a lot in here, a lot of theological illustrations in here. But what this story shows us for our purposes is that there was a place where the righteous who died before Jesus Christ went. They had a place to go. We now, in our world, on this side of the cross, and this side of the resurrection, we think, well, if a righteous person dies, he goes to heaven. That, does not, that is not the case prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And th- these things are all tied together with, uh, what, what we've, other, other issues we've discussed such as the, the offering of sacrifices that was given prior to the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ that we would no longer do in, in that same way. But there was, a, there was a place where the righteous dead went before Jesus Christ. I will call attention to a passage in the book of Acts a very early sermon Acts chapter 2 Verses, well, let's look at this whole story. Let's let's stop and and really look at this. Verses 23 to 36. This is the great sermon of Peter. And he speaks of our Lord, he says, uh, verse 23, Him, that is Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, not by accident, not by mistake, but by what God had determined, Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pain of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Now, I want you to let your mind work. Having loosed the pains of death, it was not possible that he should be holding of it. Jesus Christ allowed himself to be grabbed by it, but it couldn't hold him. That's the, that, that's the message. Amen. That's the message I, I believe that, that we really need to grasp here. He entered death for us. He suffered this for His people. Because none of us were good enough to do it on our own. For, <clears throat> verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now think about that a minute. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Now doesn't that imply that it's there for some amount of time? It's in Hades. The soul is in this place, but he won't be left there. Neither will thou suffer that holy one to seek corruption. God would not suffer the body of Jesus. And this kind of go, could tie back to something when we were discussing earlier, the time in which he was in the grave. His body, he did not break down like a dead body would break down. God would not suffer that to go that far. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that, that his soul was not left in hell, Amen. neither his flesh did see corruption. Now, if his soul was not left in hell, what is it but that he must have gone there? He went to Hades. Now, if we will reference back in Luke, the the, the story, not a parable, but the story in Luke chapter 16, verses 20 to 31, we can see that there was a place, the Bible is teaching us that there was a place where the righteous persons before Jesus Christ went after their death. And there was a place where the unrighteous persons went after their death. And that place, as it tells us here in verse uh, 26, Abraham, there's another name. Abraham is present. He said unto the rich man, Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. They that would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The Lord allowed his pre-cross saints, they went to a place of rest, waiting. They were waiting also. The Bible says that they, that they without us should not be made perfect. All, all will be gathered together. And they were put in a place of rest and waiting. We can see these ideas... Uh, quoted all throughout the Psalms of David, uh, referencing that, that passage in Acts we just read. Psalm 16.10 is where that quote uh, is drawn from. And we can, you can see the idea in Psalm 49.15, if you'd like to, uh, to reference that on your own. Now, why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did He descend into Hades? Well, several reasons. I think if we turn over, we can see one of the reasons in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 8 through 10. This ought to be a very well-known passage. Wherefore he saith, this is verse 8, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. All those folks, all those... Persons who had died in faith prior to Christ, when he ascended, they were released out of that prison. They were able to go with him. They couldn't go ahead of him. They were able to go behind him with him leading. That place is empty now. Maybe it doesn't exist. I don't know, and the Bible doesn't say, and we really don't need to be concerned with it. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And notice the, the logical argument that Paul makes. Now that he ascended, that is, now that he has ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He came to us on, in the, the world of the living, and during that time in which he was in the gra- his body was in the grave, he went and preached to them. That's who that captivity is that he led. He took that captive and led them to the Father. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, you might ask yourself then the question, well, where? Where did he go? And again, don't don't have your mind... thinking that he went anywhere to be punished. He had nothing to be punished for. That's not what's being said. But If we turn over to the book of First Peter, Peter tells us where he went and what he was doing. Paul told us that he, he went and led captivity captive. But he did something else, I believe, we can see. And uh, what I'm going to say here, again, the, the modern church has almost totally rejected this idea. But read with me in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. "...by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison." There's that that talk about a prison again. And he went and preached to these spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient. Hmm, these are disobedient spirits. "...when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah..." wherein the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. He's going all the way back to the time of Noah. These disobedient spirits, those who have died rejecting God, doing evil. I don't know what he preached to them. Maybe he just told them, I told you what was going to happen. I don't know what he said. That's not recorded for us. But he... He did that, the scripture tells us, in that prison that we've been reading about from Luke chapter 16. And that prison, the prison still exists today. And it will exist. It will exist until the time of the end. Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, tells us what will happen to that. In the time of judgment, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So that tells us that while they're still still dead, the the, the rich man's still there. Think about it. Delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That will be. That will happen one day, just as surely as His first coming, and His crucifixion, and His resurrection occurred. That will happen. That will happen. Praise Him for it. Why is this idea so neglected or contradicted in the modern in modern theology? I don't know, I don't have the answer to that question. The modern church seems to be much more focused on trying to make people feel good, trying to, I don't know what they're doing, trying to build a large group. This is a somewhat difficult concept. It might be a somewhat frightening concept, but it's a very early concept. The early Christians understood when they began to think and to reason about what the Lord had done and what the Scripture says. They realized, well, when Jesus gave up the ghost, his spirit, and it was separated from his body, where did he go? He went, as we've, we've touched on, he went to preach to those who had died in faith to lead them to heaven. He preached to those who had rejected him. They got to see it. But I think there's one more component that ties it together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. When John is having his vision in the Spirit... And I want you to think about this, John. This man, John, had, he was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had walked with Jesus nearly his whole earthly ministry. He had been a Christian minister. He was an old man when he wrote the book of Revelation. And when he saw Jesus, he didn't, he didn't seem necessarily as, Oh, an old friend, come in, let's have a seat. John, this old man, he fell. He fell down. He was overwhelmed with the righteousness of Christ. It says he fell at his feet as dead, and Jesus laid his hand upon him and said, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. In verse 18, he tells us, I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. and that's the mark of the triumph over hell and death. Jesus, when He passed, He descended because He was going to get those keys. He's in charge now. Not Satan. He's in charge. He overcame the power of death and hell. He is the master because He holds the key to the door. He holds the key to the gate. You see, when... When Christ Jesus, before his, when he was going to be resurrected, I, I like to think he walked away with those keys. He walked away with the, the power, just like Samson walked away with the gates of Gaza. And there was no power that could stop him. Because as we read, death could not hold him. He, this Christ who descended to us and dwelt among us as Emmanuel, who was faithful unto death faithful unto the death of even the death of a cross when he was buried he descended descended into hell because he was following the trail that he had set out on back all the time unimaginable to us between him and his father following the trail that us the doomed children of Adam had set out on. But as, it, as we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, death could not hold him. He broke the hold that death had on our people. Hallelujah. And it's only now in Jesus Christ who holds the keys, as he told his apostle John, the keys of death and hell, that salvation from that righteous sentence is found. Lord. The bosom of Abraham is empty. But the path of heaven is opened by the Christ who tasted death for his people and descended into hell so I don't have to. Praise his name for it. Praise his name. Well, I hope and trust that you'll ponder and think about the the verses we mentioned. I hope you marked them. And I hope you'll be moved by the, the wonder and the glory of what Jesus Christ has done for us all. And I hope you'll be blessed in this feast as we have our minds turned always towards our Lord. And be maybe leave and be renewed and be thankful. Say he went so I don't have to. Believe in him and trust him and walk in Christ. Let's Bow our heads and have a word of prayer or thanksgiving. Amen. Our great Heavenly Father, my Lord, I offer thee all the thanks that I know how for Jesus Christ, the thy son who would come, who would endure such contradiction of sinners, who would endure even to the grave and even to, to hell to make a way, Father, for those, for, for thy people to return to thee. My God, I pray that you would accept our gratitude and our thanksgiving. Bless this people, Lord. Bless this place and bless this time together. And we ask these things in the name, the only name, in whom salvation is found, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.